Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. So many of us feel stuck and unsure of how to make positive changes in life. Journaling is a proven way of keeping yourself on track and creating lasting change. The How I Quit Alcohol Playbook will take you through 365 days of gratitude, daily affirmation, and loads of techniques to help you stay on track and head towards a clearer future. Head to the show notes or iquitalcohol.com.au to grab yourself a copy today. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery are purveyors of beautiful non-alcoholic beverages. Live on your own terms, be true to you, and drink what's good for your body and soul. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the studio, I'm joined by provisional psychologist Georgie Berdini. Hey Georgie, how are you? Hey Danny, well thanks, pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm so stoked to have you have you in the studio today. So not only are we friends through school, but I only found out just recently that you're actually a drug and alcohol therapist, psychologist, counsellor. Yeah. Yeah, 10 years experience as a drug and alcohol counsellor, working in prisons and in the community delivering different programs and mm. I'm like oh my god how did I not know this I'm gonna get you in so yes here you are thank you so much for, for coming for coming in today pleasure to be here <laughs> it's a new experience for me to be chatting away on a podcast so I feel like I'm uh testing my edges <laughs> pleasure to do it with you yeah <laughs> well it's always good to test your edges <laughs> I'm into testing the edges I love getting professionals in and people that work in the field as well because there's always so much information and different strategies that people use. So tell me a bit about your background and and why you got into this work. 
So my background's in drug and alcohol. I started out as a drug and alcohol counsellor in Melbourne um, when I was just studying psychology then. And I had the opportunity when I was writing my thesis to do like a meta-analysis on drug and alcohol rehabilitation and group programs for inmates in prison. Amazing. So that was what our organization was delivering at the time. We had the contract to, to run those programs at the jail and we wanted to revamp the, the whole um, program. So that was really my initiation into delivering programs um, and it was a bit of a baptism of fire because I was mm-hmm. young you know I was 23 at the time or 24 um, wow. yeah so I learned a lot and then from there my careers progressed more into drug and alcohol counseling and I do sometimes still run groups through through my role at the moment and I'm I've worked one-on-one with clients as a psychologist as well provisionally mm-hmm. through New South Wales Health so I do have experience in mental health and in drug and alcohol and I often you know work with the two of those at once in an integrated way with my Mm. clients Mm -hmm. wow that's amazing and you're also you are like a trauma-informed psychologist as well which is great. Yeah, thanks yeah. for bringing that up. Yeah, trauma is really an integral part of what I work mm. on with clients. I find the majority of the people that I see have yeah complex trauma or PTSD as well as you know other mental health issues. Yeah. When the alcohol and drug use gets more severe, you can see usually a more sort of severe trauma history Yeah, in my experience. Yeah, and do you find that usually there is some kind of trauma or complex PTSD or something like, you know, from childhood stuff? And that the alcohol or the drugs has become a coping mechanism in dealing with those Yeah, I would, I would say that, you know, there's a diverse range of presentations and also that um, drug and alcohol use is usually develops into that problematic space when people use it as a coping mechanism mm. um, and then when it's really beginning to interfere with their daily life. So... Um, you know, if you look back over a person's history, we might find, you know, traumatic events. It might be emotional trauma. You know, it might be um, some mental health background there. And, you know, the, that can really feed back into the drug and alcohol use and, yeah, cause a lot of problems in people's lives. Yeah, yeah. In my course that I'm studying with Gabor Mate mm-hmm. um, with addiction, he defines addiction as a craving for something, a craving for a substance or mm. a beh- like a, not just a substance, but it could be like a behavior or, and then the, the temporary relief or pleasure that you get from mm. doing said thing, mm-hmm. like drinking, yeah. then having negative consequences mm-hmm. from that thing. Yeah. And then an inability to stop that said behavior yeah. and then back around again. So then back to the craving and it's just like this little hamster wheel that, that goes Around and around, around. That's right. And I remember Gabor Mate is such a leader in the field, especially when you look at, you know, any kind of compulsive behavior and trauma and the relationship between those two things. And he himself had an, was it a compulsive shopping? It was a classical music addiction. Oh, but he bought so many records, didn't he? He was spending, you know, just obscene amounts of money on. It was so much money and he would crave, he'd obsessively think about like, say, a new album that was coming out. I know yeah, it yeah. sounds funny, but... And then he would, was lying to his wife about it because he was spending yeah. so much money and he just couldn't stop and it was becoming a, a problem. Right. Yeah. And that secrecy and then also having the craving and then the reward, there's so much distraction there from actually feeling what needs to be felt. And I think that's what he often comes back to, doesn't he, is that we want to avoid feeling certain things. We want to avoid having uncomfortable experiences. And so there's this sort of pleasure-seeking and avoidance behaviour that can come out. 
Yes. And that's sort of the crux of, of when I'm working with people and, and the programs and what I'm banging on about all the time and this podcast and Instagram mm. is learning to sit with the uncomfortable mm. and doing that in a way that is safe. And mm. I think we'll talk about that in a moment, yeah, but um, how you can learn. So with Gabor, it's all about tuning into the body. Okay. What's the sensation that's coming up in the body and what emotion is you know, sits alongside of that. Mm. And just to give it some attention Mm. for a while, just to see what happens. And usually just giving it attention, not making it wrong. Mm. So if there's a feeling of anger, perhaps, or sadness, just to go, okay, I'm I'm feeling some sadness and it's sitting here in my chest, perhaps. And I'm just going to focus all my attention on it. And yeah, not make it wrong. Don't be guilty or anything like that. Or I shouldn't be feeling sad. Just I'm sad right now. Mm. And to seeing what happens and pretty much most of the time it either dissipates or it shifts Mm. usually just a lot of the time I find with when I'm working with people it goes so yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah I love that and and he talks about that internal compassionate loving witness doesn't he you know holding space for our own feelings as they arise I think that's really powerful and I also use those strategies with my clients too it's been transformative for me in myself um just I'm just doing it and because I guess we're learning about it all the time, mm. but really doing it and checking with myself, checking with my nervous system, mm. what's going on for me right now. And it's, it's really, it's work. It just works so well, you know, mm. in terms of calming my nervous system mm-hmm. or oh, I'm feeling sadness. Oh, I'm feeling anger. Okay. That's right. I'm feeling it, you know, and I'm not making it wrong. And then it kind of just goes and mm. yeah, but just being, having that awareness. Is yeah. So- yeah. Yeah. I love what you said there. And it, and it brings me back to this, um, idea that I'm passionate about in my own personal life as well of, of psycho spiritual reparenting. I don't know if you've heard of Tara Brock. Yes. Yep. She's a pretty amazing, um, yep. yeah. Pioneer in the field of psycho spiritual reparenting. I think she, she coined that. And there's also a local woman called Marion Rose who, um, runs some local programs around that local too. to here, local to Northern rivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so the idea, you know, when you're talking about your sadness or your anger is maybe it's not always related to a particular traumatic event, but it might also be, you know, the way that our culture deals with feelings, the mm. way that we were parented around our emotions. You know, we might've been oh, yeah. made wrong. We might've been punished. We might've been, you know, sent off to our room, best case scenario in my generation and yours perhaps is sent mm. off to the room and then worst case scenario could be a flogging. Yeah. Mm. So, um, mm-hmm. so if you bring it back to like, what does that tell us about our feelings and what do we internalize from those experiences? You know, I think that that also has a lot to answer for if you look at the broader context of our culture and the way that we're learning here the work that Mm. you say you're doing and that you know I myself am doing too around um embracing and accepting our emotions and how powerful that can be for future generations too I think it's so beautiful even if you're not in recovery like Mm. just as a a everyday human to be able to really experience what's going on Mm. rather than kind of avoiding it Mm. or drinking it away or yeah feeling guilty for being authentic totally how you feel yeah so how if you were working with someone and say that their alcohol was their coping mechanism let's just say it's someone who um feels socially awkward and they're Mm -hmm. socially uncomfortable Mm. and the only way they can get through a social event is drinking Mm. yeah so common um good question so you know a lot of the work that i do with clients is around um building motivation so I'll be using motivational interviewing with that person. And the, you know, the research says that the more the client 
talks about their own change and the reasons why they want this, you know, to change this behavior in this way, um, the more likely it is that they're going to be able to achieve their goals. So it's more an optimism, so to speak. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's there's a whole um, philosophy behind this particular style of counseling. Um, Miller and Rolnick are the guys who came up with this way of being with clients. And, um, yeah, if anyone wants to check out their work, there's a pretty amazing book and podcast out there that I could give you to put in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, we put in the show notes. Maybe, mm. yeah. I think I did a short course, yeah, of this motivational interview. Oh, yeah? Yeah, cool. ages ago, but I don't really remember it, it's to be honest. It's very valuable. You know, a lot yeah. of it is around eliciting change talk and um, developing that, like looking at the incongruence between your current behaviours and your future goals. Um, and I find when I'm talking to my friends or family about their drug and alcohol, and I don't want to like slip right into counsellor mode, but I do want to be able to support them, that can be a really helpful way reflecting back what you've heard and then giving them the space to um, represent the other end of that polarity, yeah? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To be able to say, actually, you know, I wouldn't say it's not a problem at all. Sometimes there are problems, but it's not like a massive problem. Okay, sometimes there are problems and then they might expand on that, (laughs) for example. Yes. Uh So that's really the therapy side of things. Bringing it back to how I would support a client, you know, there'd be that aspect so a lot of that therapy is around um, working on building up their motivation to change but if they have made the decision already okay I really want to get through the next two months without drinking three months I never want to drink again there's a lot of planning for high-risk situations Mm. so that's something really important you know identifying what your trigger points are going to be where your high-risk situations are going to come up it might be driving past the bottle shop yeah on your way home from work going to a party going to a party mm-hmm. it might be you know that at the end of the day each day your relaxing ritual is to have a glass of wine so you know that that particular time there you know mm-hmm. 5 p.m 6 p.m dinner mm-hmm. time cooking mm-hmm. is a high risk time for you it might be that you wake up each morning and go straight to the bottle shop you yeah. know Mm-hmm. Um, so, so having a plan around those times, which is great. Yeah. Like exactly. Yeah. Having yeah. A, a solid plan on, okay. So my trigger time is, okay, let's say someone says I feel really triggered. Mm. I'm a really social person. Mm. I don't want to drink, mm-hmm. but I've been invited to four parties over the next mm. month. Mm. What would you suggest for them? Mm. Okay. There's a choice point already that comes to mind. It's like, mm. well, do we need to um, minimize our risk of exposure to start with, you know? Mm. So we want to build up the skills to be in these high-risk situations without using alcohol before mm. we put ourselves in that situation again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it might be that the person identifies that this high-risk situation has a really, really big chance of using of me using alcohol. I think I'm going to sit this one out and do something else that's a self-care yeah yeah like go and yeah do something completely different or sometimes i'd say to people if you really have to go like if it's your best friend's way or you know or something that's really important that you Mm. feel you can't get out of perhaps um limit the amount of time you go for so Mm -hmm. i can only sorry i can only make it for an hour Mm -hmm. but i'll drop in and say hi and then you're out of there if yeah if you if you kind of have to be there yeah but i agree with you too so you could do something just different just you go could and do, do something, something different else. yeah if, if it's going to be a really high risk situation mm. I like what you said about limiting the amount of time and I also think that um, one something I often work with clients on is having an exit strategy um, mm. so you know you might go to a situation like a friend's birthday or even a friend's house just popping in to say hi and they've you know 
pouring a drink. Oh, hey, would you like one? You didn't even know you were going to walk into a high-risk situation. Yeah, there are three Boom. sheets to the wind. There it is. Yeah, right there. <laughs> Handed to you on a silver platter. It's like, whoa, okay, now I have to work with this. You know, it was unexpected. Yeah. Um, so having a way of saying, no, thank you prepared is really great. Mm. And also having a way of leaving a social situation if you need to, you know, leaving is part of it. And that can often be the most difficult part for somebody who's Mm. used to saying yes, but then how you make sense of it and repair, I guess the hurt from that situation afterwards is also important because it Mm. can be kind of it can be a little bit triggering to leave, right? You might Mm. feel some kind of shame or you might feel... Loneliness is a big one. Mm. Absolutely. So um, that brings me to another really important point, which is building like a solid support network around you of people Mm. who want to help you with your recovery, people who care, you know. Um, Absolutely. Having a friend who, you know, you've got a set up pre-organized plan that, hey, when it's tough, I'm going to give you a call. And like, if you don't answer, I might text you. And I might say, hey, I just really need five minutes Mm. and have a few people, you know, if you can. I think it's so important to have some kind of community or some, you know, even if it's one support person, just someone that's there that you can Mm. call on or, yeah, if you just if you just need, like I say, a five minute break just Mm. to chat. Yeah, it's so important. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be something just came up for me then when you mentioned if they're leaving the party. And then they can feel, I guess they could even feel guilt or shame, but it can make them feel really lonely. And Mm. and loneliness is a huge trigger Mm. to drink alcohol. Like they'll feel I'm not part of that group anymore and, or I'm not part of this, what's going on. And Mm. you know, how, how would you kind of help someone work Mm. with that feeling if that Mm. was coming up for them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's something I see often. And, you know, grief is a big part of the recovery process Mm. for a lot of clients because there's an identity shift that happens, you know, so Mm like you said, I'm not part of that group anymore. And it might be that a year down the track, you might look back and say, Hey, I had some really fun times, but those people were still drinking and they weren't the healthiest people for me to be around at that time, you know? Um, but while you're actually in it, there's this space in between. I often draw on the board, you know, these two overlapping circles. And one of the circles is, you know, the person's identity when they're using drugs and alcohol. And then the other circle is the new identity that they're forming. It's like a rebirth. Mm -hmm. And that overlapping part in the middle Mm. is like where the mucky hard work happens. That's where the loneliness, the tears, you know, but it's like the heavy lifting of recovery. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, Scott goosebumps. Yeah. Right. Same. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like normalizing that as a part of the process and Mm. that even normalizing it for people can help them see that they're actually not alone that people who go through a journey of recovery have to go through this. So it kind of unifies all people in recovery. Oh my God. That, I'm so glad you said that. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it's, that's so important. And to realize that, yeah, it, it is part of the process, but it's normal and it happens and it probably happens for everyone. God, I remember feeling like that myself. You do? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Just feeling, yeah, just completely out of one kind of part of my life and mm. not quite at the other one yet. And I didn't know yeah. who I was. I was re, re, I don't know. You know, I t- often talk about labels, like I've lived by this label of Danny, the party girl for yeah, so long. Yeah. And who am I in be- like in between? And it's, it's a funny time. Mm. How did you, do you mind me asking how no. you would have coped in that situation? If, if you left a party because you were feeling like having a drink and it didn't feel safe anymore, what, what would you do? Yeah. I remember feeling lonely. I do remember feeling that kind of like, Oh, you know, and feeling a bit of loneliness, but I did avoid a lot of parties early on. I just didn't go because 
Unless it was with some people that I knew were safe people, in inverted commas, that I could kind of be around. But mm. I certainly wouldn't go to a party, not that I was invited to any, <laughs> any more of our big party friends. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, and then on nights when I was alone on my own, a lot of Ash was on tour and I wasn't mm. being invited to places, I would, you know, maybe call my sister or call another friend or read a book or just do something, maybe a nighttime, like an online yoga class. I would try and do something, try and shift the focus from feeling sad about it to mm. this is actually really good for me and I don't want to wake up anymore feeling like shit and feeling so regretful. And so that was my little bit of leverage to mm. just keep like what you said earlier at the start about, you know, why you're doing it. So you're trying to remember that, but I won't lie. It wasn't, it was a shitty time Yeah, and it took a while to get through that. Yeah. I hear how shitty that can be and I can when you paint the picture of it you know Ash is away on tour and you're at home and you know there's this party happening and there can be a real sense of loneliness and I, I think um, you know what you said before about Gabor Mate and holding space for those feelings I find because I often work with clients at the more severe end of the drug and alcohol use spectrum that often getting resourced and building that sense of safety is really important before and also parallel to or I guess immersed in um, that holding space for big feelings Mm. because sometimes if we aren't resourced enough and we really dive right into that loneliness feeling that can we can get lost in it you know so it's Mm. also really important to build that sense of safety and and, um, especially with the clients that have the you know post-traumatic stress disorder and alcohol or drug use going Mm. on the nervous system is constantly telling us that we're unsafe you know when we've got that history so simple acts of resourcing are really really important in polyvagal theory they talk about you know the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system Mm -hmm. and in when we're in fight you know we're really in that activated sympathetic nervous system Mm -hmm. and when we're in freeze or shutdown we're going into that parasympathetic and Mm -hmm. that might be like when you're feeling really depressed and you just can't get out of bed you know that's your dorsal vagal isn't it dorsal Dorsal vagal vagal. yeah that's right yeah Mm -hmm. anytime where there's there's that kind of sense of you know lonely or like a trigger Mm -hmm. it's really important to um, create a sense of safety, like what you were talking to me about yesterday. Mm. Yeah. So tell us about that, like in ways in which you can calm your own nervous system and, mm. um, yeah, and, and keep checking in with yourself. That's one thing on my challenge at the moment. I'm really hammering to the to the group. Yeah. Okay. Check in with your nervous system. What's going on with your nervous system? Cool. Cool. And I'm doing that myself, and I'm finding it really helpful just to ask the question: What's my nervous system doing right now? Yeah. I just yeah. asked my own system that when you asked. Ask me. I'm, yeah. I'm noticing how I'm feeling. Yeah. yeah. So how how would you like work with that if mm. someone was really on in that fight or flight response, which often a traumatized person is? Mm. Mm. Um, That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, I think building that uh, emotional literacy is really important. So um, often the first step can be naming our emotions. Um, naming our internal experience. It doesn't have to be an emotion like anger, sadness, frustration, loneliness. It can also be like, oh, my heart's beating faster. Yeah. Or, oh, I feel very close to tears, you know? Yeah. My throat feels constricted. Just doing, even doing a body scan and just noticing what messages your body is sending you um, and what they can be, I guess, the warning signs for as far as what's going to come next. You know, it's it's such a useful tool in recovery and also in relationships because when things escalate, that's when we can either have a drink, 
have an argument with someone we love, say something yeah. that can be hurtful, yeah. you know? So just being aware of what those feelings are and what they might mean about the behaviors that can come. Absolutely. Is because important. if Ash say hasn't done the dishes, let's say, Ugh. right. Ugh. And I might get really pissed off and like feel and, but something triggers in me. And now I've been able to go, what's really going on for me right now? Like mm. what's actually, why am I feeling so activated mm. from this? And I can go, well, what's the story I'm telling myself? You know, it's that he doesn't love me enough to, you know, do the dishes or keep the house clean or whatever. Mm. But he's just doing his own thing. It's got nothing to do with how much he loves me. But it's from an old belief that I have from, say, childhood where I didn't feel loved or put forward, like um, considered and, and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, yeah. So it all stems back to that. But, yeah, it's it's really interesting to go, what's actually happening for me right now? Mm. So I'm reading this book, um, Deb Dana's book, Anchored, where she talks about the polyvagal theory. Um, and she talks a lot about that, like checking in with the nervous system and, mm. you know, what's happening with it. So you've got the fight or flight, the shutdown or the flow state kind of thing. That's that, right, yeah. yeah. The, fo- the, the flow state would be like safe and social. Yes. Is I think the way Gabor Mate talks about it, that yeah. safe and social, you know, that I, I'm able to – um, get things done I can have you know intellectual conversations I can laugh I can feel joy you know I feel safe yeah. um, and then yeah the shutdown would be like the freeze response you know it might be that you just go completely numb sometimes you'll notice this feeling like you're floating above yourself looking down at your own body um, or you might just zone out and stare into space for a while, you know, especially when I know the feeling myself when I've got very loud, many young children <laughs> orbiting me. Yeah, yeah. I sometimes just notice, oh, I've just totally checked out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then that fight response or flight, they're both that quite activated fear survival response, which is like, you know, your heart's pounding in mm. your ears, your skin's prickling, you know, you've mm-hmm. this real sense of like, either I have to fight the danger and that might be that whole, you know, I want to yell at you because you didn't do that thing that I asked you to do or it might be like I just need to get out of this situation straight away I got a shitty email from someone or mm. you know it could be all sorts of things oh, kind of yeah, yeah absolutely yeah so, so many, many um, possibilities so many triggers what can activate it it can be really um surprising too sometimes what can activate our survival response mm-hmm. so um, when I'm working with someone I'll, I tend to um I like to work with the breath a lot so mm-hmm. you know extending the exhale to activate the parasympathetic nervous system to go back in you know just to relax and calm Mm -hmm. how would you get someone to activate the parasympathetic nervous Mm. system and to get back into that flow state that socially Mm. engaged state great and yeah you've touched on a really important one there the breath you know coming back to the breath is like just gold if you're able to access that at the time um the longer exhale than the inhale gives the message that the body's safe Mm -hmm. um Another thing that can be really helpful is doing a body scan. So just noticing that you have fingers. Mm. What are they doing? How do they feel? You know? Mm, doing that right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there they are. All 10 of them. <laughs> and then your toes, you know, you might notice that you have toes. You might like just adjust your posture so that your heart is more open. And that also can give your body the message that you're safe. You know, sometimes when we're feeling that fight or flight kicking our hands might make fists Mm. you know we might hunch forward or we might like puff up but it's it's not a puffed up it's like a relaxed open heart Mm -hmm. something that is really helpful for people when they're really moving into that panic space this is part of my panic attack first aid that i do with clients is looking around the room or wherever you are you might be outside noticing the things you see and naming them and what color they are oh brilliant okay because what's often happening is that we're reminded of a time before when we weren't safe 
But in actual fact, we are safe now. Oh, I just got goosebumps again. Yeah. yeah. Our nervous system is telling us that we're unsafe based on previous information that it got. Mm-hmm. So if we can put some sensory information in from right here, right now, okay, I can see this album cover up here. It's orange, you know, it's orange and white. Down underneath it, I can see this black um, with white writing on it. And you might even say the letters to yourself out loud from a street sign, something mm. like that. That can be a really good grounding technique. That's awesome. And how long would you say someone would have to do that for to come back into their body? Mm. It really depends on the person. And that brings me to an important point that I don't know if you've heard of Dan Siegel, but he's yes. like just an absolute idol of mine. Yeah. Um, and he works a lot on mind sight and integration. So he has guided meditations that you can access online. And I often sit down and do them. You know, I just set the goal to do it once a day. You know, it doesn't always happen that way. But mm-hmm. um, the more that we practice mindfulness, mm. the more easily we're going to bring our nervous system down when we get into fight or flight. Also, the more that we practice mindfulness, the more attuned we are to our mental state and our body state and the more that we notice fluctuations in it yes because that's what's happening say with me like because i'm working so hard on what's going on in my nervous system what's mm-hmm. happening with me what's going on internally i'm i am really noticing it doesn't it's not to say that you don't fly off the handle sometimes or you don't get stressed out but you can kind of notice it and pull it up mm-hmm. and kind of bring yourself back into your body again and go oh, okay i'm i'm okay mm-hmm. so it's really interesting it's like a practice isn't it the more you do it the more attuned you become. Yeah, that's right. You're on. strengthening that that muscle and that neural pathway too. You know, when it when you do something over and over again, you get better and better at it and it gets easier. It's like what you were saying yesterday when I was talking to you yesterday about this stuff. Every time you have the craving and then you kind of get, your, and get yourself into a state where you feel safe again, you've created a new neural pathway. Mm. Yeah, you, we call it habituating the neural pathway. There's Ooh. some like psych nerd language for you I'd love it it's like the more you do it the the wider it becomes like the water running down a river you know it's widening and widening when there's a big flow and there's lots of water and it's the same with our neural pathways that the things we do more often become habitual because we're strengthening that pathway in the brain amazing yeah and like a gratitude practice so a few people in my challenge at the moment are like why why do we have to do this gratitude practice all the time mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like because it will help you scan for the good stuff And create the new neural pathways. Mm -hmm. And do you get people to work on a gratitude practice or anything like that? That just actually reminds me of a conversation I was having with my boyfriend last night who said to me, you're so grateful all the time. He's like, are you grateful for Alcatraves? (laughs) Pointing at the ceiling. He's like, I'm grateful for Alcatraves. (laughs) Like, I'm just grateful for the most random, (laughs) random things that... um, Yeah, so that's funny. But I think gratitude is a really important place to come back to. I think that there's a fine balance between, you know, the gratitude practice and the radical acceptance of the full spectrum of emotion, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's also part of that committed action for change. So it's like there's there's two, we could could have like two handfuls. One of them has the the action that we're going to do towards change, like a gratefulness practice, or it might be going to the beach every day or Mm. meditation every day. Yeah. So these are the things we can do. And then in the other hand, we've got the radical acceptance of what is. So like the balance between those two things. Yeah. And also, because you don't want to say to people I work with, you don't want to end up in a situation where it's another thing you're berating yourself for. Mm. Like if you don't do gratitude practice, you don't want to feel like a naughty kid and Mm -mm. feel like you failed again. Oh, totally. 
Totally. That's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think that just moving within our, um, our window of tolerance and then being able to widen that, you know, as we go through is really important. I think that what we were talking about before about the nervous system, that space is really important in that too. So Mm. something like going to the beach is, you know, it's, it's really, it can be really expanding, you know, the water can be really calming. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's feeling that panic or fight or flight, if they're able to get outside and be in nature, that can also be really therapeutic. Yeah, it can really, well. yeah, it calms things. I go onto the beach pretty much every morning and watch the sunrise. Mm, yum. And oh, I love it so much. Did mm. you just say yum? Yeah. I love that's, it. That's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> it really, really is. And I just find, oh, my God, I just feel so, for one, really grateful, mm. but then just so calm and, I don't know, connected in my body just mm. yeah Yeah. i love it it is yum delicious that's a beautiful thing that you do for yourself each day yeah it's really important to me and then you know the more time that goes on or the more that you could see perhaps that if you were drinking you might not be getting out of bed and doing that let's be real yeah exactly oh god no way Mm. no way Mm. yeah no and and we lived down here at the beach for for years while we're still drinking and very well unless i drunk all the way through yeah to sunrise and you'd be sunrise at the beach and your neighbors would be like oh there she is you're like oh look at all those people going for jogs <laughs> yeah losers <laughs> making me feel bad about my life yeah <laughs> they're just trying to make me feel bad <laughs> yeah. fuckwits yeah. they're not really really living yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, totally. It's that's so great. Like, yeah, I love what you said too about just, you know, having a handful of things that you know will help you. Mm. Some meditation, gratitude practice, some grounding exercises, really important. And have that as part of that plan too that we spoke about before. Yeah, like, absolutely. That's in my toolbox. Yeah, it's good to have a toolbox. And I think, you know, because I come from that mental health, drug and alcohol perspective, it's important to also talk about that safety and when to get services involved you know if you do have a loved one or if you yourself are at the point where yeah things are getting really hard maybe you're thinking about hurting yourself you know you might be self-harming there might be some sort of violence in the home you know these are the very real and you know very um black things that can come with drug and alcohol abuse and dependence and um the importance of getting help when you need it you know it might be calling triple o might be calling the mental health line Uh, might be taking your brother to emergency, you know, and that the services are available and they're there to help. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think often people can feel like they have to carry it all themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that I used to feel that myself too. And from working for, you know, organisations where it's really important that risk is shared, Mm -hmm. you know, I've learned about the importance when I'm working with a client who has, you know, attempted suicide before has suicide plans and when they do drink their risk of suicide is elevated for example is it really uh can be yeah Yeah. what doesn't surprise me when you're intoxicated like your decision making is impaired you know yeah um your impulse control is impaired you know sometimes you can get stuck in those cycles of negative thoughts so um i remember myself like drinking sometimes and just going to really dark place really mm, dark yeah um yeah yeah definitely can bring that on absolutely sure totally and so Mm -hmm. having a a network of people around who um who you can turn to or if there's a loved one that you're caring for for example like just knowing that get there's no shame and no harm in getting services involved because Mm. that's like broadening that support network it's lifting some of the responsibility from you and it's spreading it out you know yeah yeah talk to me about um early on so i'm not just talking about 
everyday drinkers, like mm-hmm. most people I think listening to this podcast are more your grey area drinker or your binge drinker. Okay. But of course there's also daily drinkers listening as well. Yeah. But all like not everyone, but you know, oftentimes people if it's not so not everyone's having like full blown physical withdrawals. Okay. But just feeling crappy. Because yeah. so most people are like, why aren't I feeling amazing? Like I've mm. stopped drink, I've stopped drinking. I'm not sleeping. Oh, we'll talk about sleep in a minute. That's right. Yeah. But just even just the feeling crap. For, mm. So for, I would sometimes put that down to a bit of detox, a bit of the emotional stuff that comes up when we're used to kind of using that alcohol as a Band-Aid and it's going to surface. So mm-hmm. it has to be worked through, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Any other reasons why that would be? It's just something that comes up a lot where they're just like, oh, I feel so shit. Why oh, do I yeah. feel so shit? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So with alcohol in particular, you know, the body becomes physically dependent on it. So you're having physical withdrawals for about the first week mm-hmm. um, and that can be like headaches, nausea, um, sleep disturbances, which we will chat about yeah. soon. Um, it can be anxiety. That's a really common one. Um, and shakes. And then yeah. at the very extreme end, you know, you've got seizures and the yeah. DTs. Alcohol is actually the most dangerous drug to withdraw from. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. There are the most deaths related to alcohol withdrawal compared to all other withdrawals from drugs. Would that be though someone that was daily drinking kind of like thing? Like high level daily drinking. Yeah. yeah. So when you talk about your everyday drinker, someone who has maybe a wine a day or, you know, drinks four or five every few days or binges on the weekends. You or know, a bottle a night even where you're not like, you know, you, nighttime you drink a whole bottle. I mean, that's yeah. quite a lot of sugar yeah. as well. Yeah. And if you're drinking a bottle a night, you know, you're, you have a physiological dependence on alcohol for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So you will experience some of those withdrawal symptoms. I mean, we know from coffee, right? If you drink Mm. one coffee a day Mm. and then you go one day without coffee, it's like headaches, grumpy, do not come near me. Because, like, I'm spiking and I'm probably going to growl at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just one coffee a day. So, yeah, you have five, five, well, that's, what, seven standard drinks in a bottle of wine. That can definitely have an impact. Um, yeah, and then, like you talked about that, the coping strategy. So, if you know all day that you can have a drink of wine at the end and take a load off, you know, put your music on while you cook mm-hmm. dinner and suddenly, like, all your responsibilities just wash away. You know, you've got this sense of, like, I am relaxing now. I am doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. You yeah. know, and if that's the way that you cope with the stresses of life, um, you take that away, and suddenly, you know, the things that you used to co- use that to cope for become a whole lot harder to cope with mm-hmm. because you haven't had the chance to develop other ways to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So I think what people find is like when you take the the alcohol out, you've got this gap there where hey, there's an opportunity to build some new. Um, well, yeah, broaden your toolbox, I suppose, mm. new coping mechanisms. But that t- that takes work. And yes. I think people find that can find that really hard. And, and that would be part of that checking in with the nervous system or what can I do to relax then mm. if it's my way to relax or it's my reward at the end of the day. Yeah. What's, an, what's another way I can reward myself? What's another way I can relax? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It can be around relaxation or reward. It can also be around like noticing the craving. So we talk about... In relapse prevention, we talk about like urge surfing, yeah? Mm-hmm. And so what happens when you have a craving is you think it's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger until you get the thing you want. That's the dopamine pathway going like, bing, 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 give me that thing. Give it to me now, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like an itch that if I don't scratch it, it's just going to be itchy forever. Mm-hmm. But what we know from like brain scans is that the like a wave, the urge will peak in about 20 minutes and then whoo, it'll crash. Um, so if you can set yourself an activity that goes for, say, 20 minutes to an hour, yeah, then um, that is one way to come out the other side of a craving. 
Awesome. Every time you surf that urge and come out the other side of a craving, you are rewiring your brain. Wow. So that is awesome. Cool, that's, hey? Yeah, that's really cool. Mm. So like a 20-minute walk. Yeah. Yeah, like 20-minute yoga class if you can jump, get on one online. Yeah, yeah. 20-minute chuck out and John on a dance. That's what I'd do. Yeah, totally. Jump around. <laughs> we can party without alcohol. It's way more fun. I can I dance know. for longer. I'm sweating it out. Oh, my God. Do you know what? I'm really into it. Sorry, just changing subject here. Okay. I'm really into at the moment putting on um, like nonlinear dance movement stuff or um, five rhythms dance therapy playlists mm, on cool. Spotify. Awesome. And just dancing all the time, like just, yeah. just moving my body. And some of those um, playlists, which I can I can put on the show notes, they just make you move. Oh, totally. I That's just came so from cool. my um, heart dance class this morning. I do it religiously twice, well, twice a week when, yeah, I can get the childcare. And um, that's good medicine. And I think that that's really important because often people will drink when they're going out partying. So they're going out dancing, you know, maybe they're going to festivals, maybe they're, yeah, just catching up with friends and listening to music. But there's this association for a lot of people like, I can't dance unless I'm wasted. Yes. You know, I, can, I have to have a drink if I'm going to be dancing. Mm-hmm. And then being in a group of people dancing without alcohol, like this is my own personal journey, you know, I'm not saying it's for everyone, but man. It just feels so good. Yeah. It feels so, like the collective energy of it. And mm-hmm. um, I find, yeah, for myself that the, my journey with movement, it's part of my healing process because it's like I'm embodied, you know, yeah. I'm just letting it all flow. Yeah. My emotional process, like some shame might come up or some story and I can work with it with my body. Oh, so um, good. So good. I love it. So amazing. And it's also just like being a dag in the kitchen while the kids are like, oh, mom, yeah. stop it. And I'm like, woo, you know. <laughs> Spinning the hair round and round, yeah. rock and roll style. It's really cool because I've been doing it so long now. The kids are sort of really getting into it now. Like this morning, Sunny, who would always be like shaming me, like, Mum, oh, my God, it's not about your thing. She started getting into it now. She's doing all this crazy dancing. I'm like, that's mm-hmm. it, Sunny, dance out the trauma. So good. <laughs> like this. Love it. And she's really getting into it. But it, that Lucky is girls. amazing. Like I would say if you can find locally a – just like one of those dance classes or five rhythm. We've got five rhythms up here. We do. Yeah, Thursday night. Yeah. But then the, that. I'm sure there's lots of that around, you know, something like that, you know, or some chanting. I know it sounds yeah, crazy, but get into it. Why not? It doesn't sound crazy to us. We're I know. From, I'm so into it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's a really um, big like national dance community and you can access it anywhere really if you just jump online and look up five rhythms or yeah, five rhythms yeah, is moving meditation. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. I'll put links for that as well i might actually try and get geish who runs our local five rhythms yeah thing to come in actually and talk on this podcast cool she's about... a good friend of mine oh you have to hook me up yeah I can. i've sort of spoken to her about email anyway but cool. yeah um anyway i digress so okay so that's great another thing i'll just just going back to the nervous system thing sure, i've sure. been really getting on and people on my instagram will have seen this but doing the hot cold therapy oh, with oh, the ice yeah. bath and Ooh. i noticed i'd been a bit stressed last week <laughs> and um and I could feel that what's going on in my nervous system. And I was really on like getting red cheeks and mm. just feeling and I'm, just, I'm breathing and I'm being with it. And it's like, oh. and um, so I rang up my friend, Kathy, and she's got the hot cold thing and just going around there and just getting into that ice bath and just, she has to full on, you can feel the, um, the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight, like get me the fuck out of this water yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm always thinking, why am I doing this? Why am I here? This sucks. Get me out of here. <laughs> but Kathy's there coaching me, just like extend your exhale, extend your wow. exhale. And doing coaching me reminding me of everything that I already know. Mm. But because she's there and she's just coaching me through it. And then you can feel the parasympathetic nervous system literally turn on, like from shaking like this to just, okay, everything's relaxing. Mm. 
and calming down and it's like, wow, this is amazing. And then getting into the hot, then getting into the hot bath for five minutes and then back into the ice again for five minutes. Amazing. Back into the hot for five and then back into the ice for five. Mm. It's like a complete nervous system reset. Wow. And the, oh. the awareness that you must have of your nervous system to be able to do that Amazing. is also like you're building that connection between your body and your mind. You know, that's incredible. So much. Very cool. Yeah, there's so much wisdom in it that comes mm. up, like you say. And Ash actually took Sunny yesterday, our daughter Sunny, who's 13, and she, same thing like Kathy, had to really coach her through to keep her in the ice. But then she was just like, Sunny was just felt amazing at the end. And she's so proud of herself. But she has a little bit of anxiety from time to time. And so Kathy was saying to her too, you know, if you go into that anxious space, you mm. can really draw on what, what's just happened now in this ice bath. Oh, and amazing. It was so good yeah, for her. that real world, real time right now. Yeah. This is how we're going to cope with this. We're going to breathe through it. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, there's so many um, different ways to experience the world, aren't there? I remember my son, Max, he was having some panic attacks and, you know, I was working with them at home in, in our own way and a friend of mine offered to give him acupuncture mm-hmm. and he never had acupuncture before. He's eight. And I remember watching him lying on the bed and the breathing that he was doing and the eye contact he was having with my friend as as she put the needles in. And I thought to myself, just this experience itself is healing for him. The fact yeah. that he's able to lie still on the bed and like surrender trust to her while she puts needles in him, you yeah. know. And then there's the actual, you know, energy lines and meridians on top Amazing. of it. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. It's so cool. It's a great thing to teach our kids, you know, some resilience and some acceptance and trust and things like that, you know. I've sort of been talking a bit about lately, like kind of not teaching your kids to moderate drinking perhaps, but more teach them other ways to, you know, be in a social situation or mm. something that brings up the uncomfortable and learning to be with that rather than teaching them early on how to drink. Oh, I love, I love what you've just said. I, I've been watching, you know, my friends with older children and Same. and watching my kids as they're growing into their little younger, older child selves and thinking, you know, there's so many ways to to build like to I don't know risk take I guess is one thing and there's so many ways to pleasure seek and there's so many ways to connect and like surfing or skateboarding or Mm. might be getting up on stage and performing like these Mm. are the things that we can support our kids to do um and they're healthy ways of like experiencing the world you know totally I see like I see children who have the opportunity to do that and they seem to flourish Absolutely. I'm yeah. so in agreement with that, particularly getting on stage too. I think because there's so much adrenaline in that and so much nervousness and mm. anxiousness. And so they have to go through these whole gamut of emotions. But then when you come out the other side, quite euphoric, unless you completely bum out. Yeah. But even still, that's just something to <laughs> kind of learn to accept. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a possibility you're going to bum out. It's funny that you said that because just doing this is, was a bit of an adrenaline rush for me, mm-hmm. like coming in here and talking to you today something that's i haven't done before and i almost feel like i am on stage yeah. so i wonder if i'm going to be euphoric when i walk out of you probably here. will i'll be high all day <laughs> you're doing a very good job of it <laughs> oh amazing so cool. just i wanted to also address the sleep so this is mm. something that comes up all the time yeah um particularly in the challenges and people i coach not everyone but it seems that a lot of people have sleep disturbance particularly in the first couple of weeks. Mm. So can you speak to that? Like what is that all about and why? I mean, I've done my own research on it, but I'd mm. just be interested to hear what you've got to say about it. Like, Yeah, I've got a few different thoughts bubbling away in here. One of them is that actually when we fall asleep after drinking, we have a less restful sleep. So 
I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but if you drink yourself to sleep and then you wake up at 3 a.m., mm-hmm. need to go to the toilet, might feel a bit nauseous. Anxiety. Headache. Anxiety. Anxiety. That's it. Go do the way, come back to bed, lie in bed awake, buzzing like a fridge, you know. And oh my God, what the fuck have I done? Yeah, that's it. And your body's <laughs> just in this state of activation, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah, I mean, the brain waves that happen in sleep and the relationship between that and alcohol is a whole nother thing. Um, so there's that aspect that, you know, when you do drink yourself to sleep, you're actually not getting the rest that you need. Yeah. That's part of it. Because you don't have the REM sleep either, do you? Or it's not, not as much. Not as much. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And you tend to wake when you get into a certain brain wave. Right. Um, yeah. I think the sleep wake cycles are 90 minutes or the sleep cycles are 90 minutes. So you might wake after like two 90 minute cycles or one 90 minute cycle and then find it hard to fall asleep again. Mm. Um, but yeah, so there's that. The other thing is that sleep disturbance is like a physiological withdrawal symptom. So when you're coming off alcohol or stopping drinking, there's a chance that at least for the first week, you're going to have some sleep disturbance Mm. and that it will get better with time. So like, keep going. It's going to get easier. It's something that I might say to people. If people are drinking higher levels of alcohol, it's really important that they're getting some support from their GP Mm -hmm. when they stop because thiamine is something they should all be taking. Vitamin B12, that reduces the risk of Wernicke's disease. Um, and also sometimes they prescribe like diazepam or Valium to help them sleep. Yeah. Um, so that's like the medical side of things, but then, you know, when we're looking at longer term, what we can do to help ourselves sleep, there's a few things, um, low light for the hour before bed is recommended. Mm Mm-hmm. Get the candles out. Make mm-hmm. it ambient. Put some gentle Get music sexy. on. Yeah. <laughs> Burn some oils. Yeah. <laughs> Even yeah. if it's just you, it's cool. You can get sexy. <laughs> um, and then you've got um, no screens. This is such a big one. And it's like, you know, how many people in modern society are actually not using screens in the hour before bed? Like very few because yeah. we're just all Netflixing out, aren't we? Yeah. But um, that is causing a lot of sleep disturbances. And, you know, it might not be just because you're coming off alcohol or you've stopped drinking. It might also be that. Um, watching TV until you fall asleep is activating your brain like it's waking you up you know Mm -hmm. scrolling is another thing like just putting the screens away for the hour before bed is really important Mm. Um, another thing that I often do when I can't sleep is put on a guided mindfulness Mm -hmm. or do just a body scan myself you know so it's like really tuning into the breath extending the exhale um, do it's like a the prani pranayama Mm -hmm. breath Mm -hmm. or um yeah like a yogic body scan feel your toes feel your feet feel your legs all the way up Mm -hmm. um that can be really helpful uh what else could i tell you there is there anything that i've missed that you can think of well i think i know we always talk about i always talk about in the podcast is the morning routine right but i think what's also really important is the nighttime routine Mm. so for me it starts winding down pretty early mm-hmm. I, I get up I get up super early so I go to bed quite early as mm-hmm. well but same thing like trying to reduce screen time before bed but I was you know put some kind of really nice music on sometimes I'll do like a like a restorative yoga or a yin yoga just like a quick on, online one nice I was talking last week about glow.com which is I'm not affiliated with them but I've got a account with them so I can put on just but you can put get this stuff on YouTube as well yeah, yeah. Cool. so nice oils Dimming the lights as well. Mm. I usually love some like just soft music, ambient music. I also like that when I wake up in the morning. Mm. Pretty much, I've got music on all day. Yeah, yeah. And just thinking about that that night that night routine, you know, mm. or a bath, you know, beautiful with some beautiful lavender in it, you know, just really really 
kind of like pampering yourself at night, beg Ash or the kids to rub my feet. <laughs> Does that work? Well, the kids have to pay them. Uh, I love it. <laughs> and sometimes Ash, I'll give him a wink, like if you brush, if you rub my feet. <laughs> You're going to get lucky later. Yeah, don't usually follow through on that. <laughs> love it. <laughs> he knows me now. I'm, I'm the daytime person for that. But, um, yeah, oversharing. Um, yeah. Well, that's one way to help your, your sleep is, you know. Yeah, good old your, orgasm. Life. Yeah, that definitely helps. Oxytocin, get it pumping. It doesn't yeah. even have to be an orgasm. Like loving touch is really good for sleep. You can just like lovingly, if you're alone, you can just lovingly run your fingers up and down your arm. It's like, oh, there's this oxytocin release and that's really good for sleep. So the nighttime routine, good mm. sleep hygiene yeah. is yeah. really important. It is really important. And another thing that comes to mind is during the day being in the sun. So the melatonin is a big part of regulating the sleep-wake cycle. Getting out, exposing yourself to sun in the day is yep. good, especially in the morning and in just before bed. Totally. Um, yep. And then if you can keep the lights low, it's good. And exercise is another big one. Yes. You want to be exercising if you want to have good sleep. It might yeah. be going for a walk or run, yoga, yep. something along those lines. Get some energy out. I also take um, melatonin and magnesium nice. at nighttime. And I'm also nerding out at the moment. I bought a red light therapy panel. Oh. And I love it. So Amazing. I usually get in front of that in the morning and at night time. I think I just want to live your life for a day. <laughs> That's pretty Can I cool. have like melatonin and heat therapy and foot rubs and see how I sleep? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I know. I'm the pamper yourself queen. I'm all about self-care. So good. But also we don't spend money on alcohol. So, you know, we spend money on yeah, sauna or red light therapy or something. It's amazing how much you save. That's oh, incredible. Oh my yeah. God. So much money. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. That's another bonus. Um, so having a good nighttime routine as well, maybe a bit of journaling sometimes, but I don't mm. tend to read, I'll read a book sometimes, but I try not to get into a self-help book at nighttime because mm. I just find that's a bit too activating. So perhaps I'll just read like a normal fiction book or something like that at yeah. night. Nice. Um, yeah. So that's my routine, but mm. yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important to think about, okay, I've got my morning routine down pat. What's my nighttime routine? And I think it's cool to nerd out on this stuff. Like yeah, totally, totally. And I think as well, yeah, like reading and researching and finding out what's going to work for you. And then also that brings me back from bedtime to dinner, which is just before bed and how um, uh, one of my clients just recently has really been struggling with what do I do at dinner time if I'm not going to have a wine, you know. She just ends up working herself till she goes to sleep because she's trying to distract herself. So it will be like instead of having a drink and putting on the music and cooking, she's just like domestic chores, domestic chores, sleep, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we talked about like what's something she can do for herself at that time of day that feels like a celebration. And she's just got into podcasts. So she puts Mm -hmm. on a podcast like perhaps even yours Mm -hmm. while she's cooking dinner. And it's like reinforcing the fact that, hey, I really want to do this. This is really important to me. Yeah. You know, so it's like having a little bit of fun while you're cooking dinner, having a laugh with the family. And yeah. then you can get into like the low lighting. You can get into turning off the TV if that was on before. And um, yeah, giving your nervous system the signal through the sensory information. Hey, I'm safe. I'm ready for sleep. It's Don't drink that. too much water or tea before bed as well. Yeah, yeah. And I eat early I'm too. That. Yeah. Mm. So try, I try and have dinner. We have dinner at like Nana's hours because... I like to be digested and, you know, have, sleep was always a bit hard one for me. Mm. It's something that I'm still working with, you know, okay. getting great sleep. I'm actually going to have one of my um, challenge participants on 
soon. Her name's Sarah and she really struggled with the sleep and it became, you know, everyone's sort of in the challenge really trying to support her. And mm. uh, we ended up getting Sam Brown, a friend of mine. She's a breath breath worker. And we actually had her do a, um, a five-day course in this latest challenge that I'm running. But anyway, Sam came in and did some free sessions with our group and Sarah slept like a baby that night just through the breath cool. and working with that. And we've found that's been really beneficial. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah breath so that, work's so helpful, isn't oh, it? Oh, breath work's amazing, especially yeah. if your mind's too busy to meditate. Mm. For some people, that's a really good segue into perhaps taking on a you know meditation practice as well. Mm. kind of helps. I think the most important thing that you've you've kind of covered here today would be just that, creating safety for yourself Mm. and I think no matter what level of where your alcohol kind of addiction or whatever it is where that sits I think it's really important even if you don't drink but you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast but being able to create create a sense of safety for yourself is Mm. so important absolutely in your relationships I think that's one thing that we have not touched on that I'd really like to before we wrap up is around you know your relationships with people and that um really strengthening those relationships with people that feel safe yeah. You know, and that it's okay to set limits with um, people in your life around, you know, how much you're going to spend time with them if they're drinking, asking people not to bring alcohol to your house. You know, it might be, I'm not going to come over to your house after a certain time. If you've got a mate who, you know, gets on it at five every day, mm-hmm. maybe you could go see them in the morning for a cuppa instead. Switch if, it if up. it's an important relationship, you know, and I think that we feel a lot safer when we have positive interactions with the people in our lives. So Mm -hmm. working on some of that relational stuff as well can be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And in that too, in those relationships, I remember feeling really triggered early on to worried that even like with family members, Oh no, they're going to be so bored around me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just was interesting what came up for me in that trigger just because, okay, why is it so important for me to, to behave a certain way to yeah. please these people. You want to be performing. You want to be the life of the party. Yeah. yeah. And that's a yeah. big thing to just kind of be okay with not being. Yeah. And I wonder yeah. how the quality of your relationships changed when that shifted in you as well. I think for the better. Yeah. Mostly because eventually they get used to, okay, that's not how Danny is anymore. Mm. And then they get used to the new version of you. And that's probably a little disappointing to them, but I don't know. I feel more solid in those relationships now. Totally. It's a totally different relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe people around you feel more heard as well, you know, and you're able to have more like reciprocity kind of goes Mm. both ways more when you're able to hear others, which sometimes when we're drinking, it's kind of hard to hear other people over our own noise. Yeah, totally. I mean, in my personal experience, I'm not talking about you. Oh my God, (laughs) me too. It's just like, yeah, yeah, I love, yeah, God, just not listening when, when I was drinking and people just, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but it's all important. It's all good. Yeah. Listen up. <laughs> hear you, hear you. <laughs> I know. Well, thank you, Georgie, for coming on, and I really appreciate cool. it. And I think those, a lot of what you shared and those tips that you shared will be really helpful for people listening I'm glad. to this podcast. Good. Thanks for having me on. It's been an experience. Yay. With all this tech equipment and microphones and saying my piece, it's been, yeah, it's been really, really fun. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks so much for coming on. Okay, bye. Bye.